prepare yourself for the first passage. It's going to be coming from James chapter 4. James chapter 4. While you're opening there, I just want to take this real quick moment to tell you how thankful we are to have you with us. The visitors here from various places, some from a pretty good distance away. Some have been here at other times during the, during the week. You were here last night, and we sure appreciate it. It's encouraging. You know, that if you can think back to, to the divided kingdom, you think about the days of Ahab, you think to the days of Elijah, where he's on a mountain basically just saying, take me away. There's nobody but me. Nobody cares. I don't think anybody in this room should feel like that. Look, look where we are. Look who surrounds us. Look how, much, look how many incredible examples we have in our life. We are blessed people. And we have a lot of people who encourage us and strengthen us. And what a wonderful family that we have. We're glad that you've come to be with us that tomorrow night. We'll, we'll be meeting tomorrow night. And you have, you'll, you'll have your responsibilities. You need to be exactly where you need to be. But if there's anybody here visiting from the community, we'd love for you to come back tomorrow night and, and close out this series with us. In James chapter 4, we're not really talking about this text tonight, but I just want just to start with it to give us an idea of, of a question that, that, that we might need to, to, to focus on. This lesson will be a little different than the others. The others this week have kind of been very, very specific, very, very pointed. This lesson a little bit more sporadic. We're going to kind of hopefully hit on a lot of things, but I sure hope we can pull them all together and, 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 and have some value from them. Before we begin, though, let's, let's, let's bow and have a word of prayer. God and Father, we're thankful to you for this night. We're thankful we can be here. We're thankful that all is so well with our health that, that allows us to be here tonight. We, we cherish so much our brethren. We're so thankful for the ones you have put into our, our life that build us up and encourage us, and we're thankful we can be here tonight. We have a lot of things going on in our, our life, a lot of things going on in, with our families. And so we ask, Father, that you help us tonight to control our thoughts, control our minds, so that we can worship you with all the, the praise and devotion that you deserve. We ask in his name. Amen. Read with me in James. Start with me in verse three, 13. Very familiar text. Go, come now, you that say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city, continue there a year, buy and sell, and get great gain. Think about, think about the plan that this, that, that this individual has. It's checked off all those boxes that you learn in, I guess, journalism school. The who, the where, the why, the when, the how. They've got it all figured out. Where are you going? Going to the city. What are you going to do there? I'm going to sell this and this. How long are you going to stay? I'm going to stay this long. What's going to be the result? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have, it's all figured out. And in that next verse, verse 14, you do not know. We're good at making plans, aren't we? We're, we're plan makers, list makers. And if we're not careful, we can just get so caught up in it. So I wanted to tonight, I want us to kind of kind of look at that, the idea of um, the plans that God might have for us. Because what we do is we take this text and we will recognize readily, okay, okay, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. That's what this that's the main thing we take from this, right? If it be the Lord's will, I will go to such and such and stay this long and have this much success. And if the Lord wills. Well, if it's very easy to take the next step. And that is, we do what we want. And then we wrap our head around, well, that's God's will for me. 
That's what God wants from me. There's a joke. I know you probably have heard it. Uh, drive by Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, if the Lord wills for me to have a donut, there'll be a parking spot open for me. And on the fifth loop around, it opened up. So we thought, okay, it's God's will. It's, really, that's just me wanting what I want to do. And then we, we just yank God into it. That's what we want to look at tonight. This idea that um, God has a plan for me. Have you ever heard that? I can't wait to see what God's plan is for me. I can't wait to see what God's plan is for my children. Oh, I just can't wait to see what His plan is. That's a feel-good concept for a lot of people. I'm not exactly sure what all it might entail or mean. I can't wait to see what God's plan for me. Do you mean this one in a billion, one in a seven billion soulmate that you're going to just run across? Um, I can't wait to see what God's plan is for my children. Does that mean that you don't expect them to have persecution? You don't expect them to have discouragement and disappointments? What do we mean by that? Turn to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Here's where the concept seemingly comes from. Here's where that phrase of God's purpose for me, God's plan for me. Well, we pick up in Jeremiah 29. It's not the best of time for God's people. When we pick up in 29, the this is the captivity period, and the first two waves by this point are already gone. The first group of captives that were Daniel and the young generation, those young scholars, long gone. The second wave of Ezekiel and skilled laborers, long gone. And now you've got that, that group that would eventually become the third wave. The ones who go through the siege, the ones who go through the starvation period, that's who's left. And here's what Jeremiah begins to talk to them. Look in verse 4 with me. Let's just read a little bit more than we have been. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all those that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build your houses. Live in them, plant gardens, eat the fruit of them, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you might be increased and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captives. Pray for the Lord for it, for the peace in it will be peace for you. So what he's telling them is, this isn't going to be time out. You're not going to be sent over there and have to miss one bluey show and then I'm bringing you back home. No, you're going to be there and you're going to be there a while. So get comfortable. Marry there. Let your children's marry there. Build houses. Build fences. Plant your gardens. You're not coming home. Pray for the people that have taken you over. Pray that there be peace among that land. Because if they're at peace, well, that'll be good for you. What's the danger? The danger is in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not let your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, or hearken to the dreams which, which you cause to dream. For they, do, they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them. 
Basically what he's saying there is, if anybody is telling you this is not going to be a long ordeal, they don't talk for me. What I'm telling you is, get comfortable. Live your life there because you're going to be there for a while. And if anybody's telling you different, if anybody's tickling your ears, that's telling you this is going to be a short interlude, it's just going to be a little parenthesis. They don't talk for me. And whatever they're talking about dreams, it's not dreams they're getting from me. Pick up in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. I will perform my good word towards you, and causing you to return to this place. For I know the plans that I think towards you, says the Lord. I know the plans of peace, not evil, to give you a, a hope in the latter time. And there is where we get this concept. People will go to Jeremiah, they go to 29, they say, the Lord, He has a plan for me. Oh, and it's going to be a glorious plan. It's going to be a plan of peace. I just can't wait for it. The context of this plan he has. What's he talking about? He has just told them, get comfortable. He has just told them, it's going to be a while. As a matter of fact, he just called, it's going to be 70 years. But I have a plan. I have a plan for the latter end for you. Glorious plan. Peaceful plan. No evil. Drop down to chapter 30. Chapter 30, For lo, the days come, says the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord. I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers. Look in verse 10. Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save you from afar, your seed from the land of captivity, and Jacob shall return. So let me pause and ask the question. If we want to go to Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 and talk about the plan God has, the plan He has for His people, here's, the, here's a question. In that context of this plan, what has it to do with our future life? What does this promise of a future plan a peace, what does it have to do with us today in our future? Not one thing. This future hope that he talked about in Jeremiah 29, this plan that he had for them, he was talking about the return from Babylon. I'm sending you here, get comfortable, you're not coming back soon, but... I have a plan. I will bring you back. You will return. I will bring a remnant back to this very place, and it will be rebuilt. That's the context of Jeremiah 29. It's not talking to us. It's not talking about a plan for us. Now, can we learn from it? Of course we can. What we learn is God is a God who can be trusted. What we learn is God is a God who knows who His people are. He knows how to bless His people. But that phrase... I have a plan for you. That wasn't talking to me and you. 
that was talking of that period of captivity, those are the ones that would come back out. We don't look at that verse and I have a plan for your career. I have a plan for your marriage. Now, can it, does providence play a part in that? Yeah. Do answered prayers play a part in that? Yes. But this verse isn't teaching that. So let's look tonight at what exactly is God wants for us. Does he ha is, there some, is there some big plan for me? Is there some big plan for you? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about providence to begin with. Is God involved in our life? Yes and yes. Amen to that. Of course He's involved in our life. But let's be humble. And let's try to stop thinking that we are in ownership of the future. Look in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis 50. Here's an example of providence that we can all look back on and we can all see it and we can all rally, rally around it. Here's a sign of providence. Remember Genesis 50? We're picking up well into the story of the, of the patriarchs. Joshua has been in Egypt and he has been there for quite a while. He's worked himself up. By now the brothers and the whole family have come down and Joseph takes care of them, provides for them. Well, Jacob is dead. And you remember the brothers are now on pins and needles. Oh no. The hammer's about to fall. Joseph has been on his best behavior because he, he didn't want to upset daddy. He has, he's turned um, an eye uh, back on revenge because he just, he, he wanted daddy to go to the grave in peace. Daddy's gone and he's about to smash us. That's what they're thinking. Pick up with me in verse 17. So they said to Joseph, forgive, I pray you, the trespass of your brethren for their sin. They did, it, it was evil, and we pray that you forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy Father. They are there with hat in hand, just begging for mercy. They are expecting punishment after all these long years. And here's Joseph's response. Don't you love him? His brethren went, and they fell down, and we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not fear. I am not in the place of God. As for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass to this day to save many people and say, well, to providence, oh, providence. Joseph is talking about providence, right? We can look back and we see, oh, that was a really bad thing they did, but it worked for good. Turn back to chapter 42. Let's talk about the event itself. This is when the brothers are, are discussing what they did, why they did it, how they did it. Joseph recognized God's hand in his life, right? He did. Joseph believed in providence, did he not? Yes, he did. But not in that moment. Look in Genesis 42, verse 21. They said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not listen. Make sure we don't get the wrong idea about what happened that day. 
When the brothers were throwing him in the pit, Joseph was not saying, God's going to take care of this. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a better tomorrow coming. Oh, I know something good's coming come from this. You know what he was doing? Begging them. It says his soul was in anguish. He was pleading. What do you think the plead was? Reuben, don't do this. Probably crying. Probably wailing. Please don't do this. I'm your brother. And he probably called them by name. On the day it was happening, in the midst of the trial, it wasn't providence that Joseph was thinking about. It was afterward. It was with reflection. And so when something is immediately happening in our life, let's be humble enough to say, maybe. That's what our hero said. Look in Esther chapter 4. We talk about Esther. It's an interesting book in that, um, as we like to say when we teach it, the name of God is never called in this book, but yet He's in every paragraph. We talk about, although He's not mentioned, that His providence and His hand is just working puppet strings throughout the whole event. And we can look back all these thousands of years later and we see that. But in the moment... In the, in the very trial itself, the Jews, the, the signature's already been out there. Jews are about to be slaughtered. National decree. And I, I know, remember the text. In verse 14, Mordecai comes to her. Verse 13, don't think that you're going to get away from this. You know, don't think you're going to be able to, to, to not be a part of this. Verse 14, if you hold your peace... Then there shall be enlargement and deliverance that will arise to the Jews from another source. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows? It may be that that's why you're here. You know what Mordecai did not do? He didn't just boldly stand up and say, I know this is God's will. No, he was humble enough to... It might be. It could be. Perhaps. Don't you appreciate that? Can we appreciate that humility? Turn to Philemon. As you're turning there, just to remind us of the event that happened. Try to put the puzzle together and try to connect the dots of all that happened with with this slave owner and his runaway slave. And it seems to be that Philemon, there's Onesimus and there's Philemon and there's, there's this meeting A runaway slave finds himself in Rome. At the same time, Paul is in Rome. And they get together, and the gospel is taught, and a runaway slave is now a child of God. And we look back, and you know what we say? Providence. God's hands all over that. I believe that. We can look back 2,000 years later. I, I, I can get on board with that. But in the moment... At the time it was real? When, when Paul writes this letter and sends it back, here's how he phrases it in verse 14. Without your mind, I would not do anything. That the goodness should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly, for perhaps 
He departed for a season that you should receive him forever. I can get on board with that being providence. In the moment, Paul writing a letter, he says, I, I want you to take him back. I'm not going to force you to. I want it to be from your heart, but I want you to understand he's your brother now. Here's what he might have once been to you. Maybe he was an unfaithful servant to you. He's a faithful servant to me. He's a faithful servant to the same God you serve. He ran away one thing. He returns as a brother. And perhaps that's what this all was about. And so here's Paul not speaking for God, not boldly making some claims that he doesn't know. And we can learn from that. We don't need to be speaking for God about his plans as if we have it all figured out. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Who knows the spirit of a man, save for the man himself? And can you and I boldly speak about baptism as an essential part? Can you, you know why we can do that? Because God revealed that. Who knows the spirit of a man except the man? God revealed that. Can you and I boldly speak and confidently teach that as we sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, that we do that making melody in our heart. Can we, that's the instrument that's being plucked. Can we do that? Absolutely we can. God revealed that. Can me and you boldly speak about an event tomorrow that we just know God is working the handles on? Has He revealed that? Mordecai, humble enough to say, Maybe. Perhaps. Paul, spirit-driven apostle. Maybe. Perhaps. How silly is it for me then to just boldly talk about things that I don't know? We want to know, though, don't we? You know, there's a thing. There's, 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 the, there's the hurdle. We want to know the whys. We want to know the wins. We want to know the hows. And so we have all these questions and all these problems that just eat at us. Why do bad things happen? And so we look out and we try to answer that question for God. Oh, here's why that happened, and here's why this happened. And perhaps, but unless you have new revelation that He's revealed, we can't speak for Him on that. Let's be humble and admit that. Why do bad things happen? Because evil people do evil things, and some of those things impact us. Why do bad things happen? Because Satan is allowed to tempt, just as he did with Job. Why do bad things happen? Because of what Isaiah called time and chance. There was, not very long ago, we were driving to Florence, calling out, going over to check on my mom after a surgery, and we're on 157, somewhere between Coleman and Moulton, and we make this curve, and, and, and a wreck had just happened. I mean, it just happened. There's no, there's no flashing lights. There's no policeman. You got two people out, both of them on their cell phone, and calling somebody, and, and you think, what if we'd been 45 seconds farther down the road? What if we had not got caught by this red light? There's time, and there is no other explanation besides that. Here's chance. I've seen pictures, and you have as well, of hurricanes and tornadoes. And, and here's a house on this side of the street, and you see the foundation of it. You see the slab. Here's a house on this side of the street, and it doesn't have a, a, a leaf on the grass. There's, 
We talk sometimes of what matters how the wind blows. <laughs> sometimes literally. There's your chance. Time and chance. And that's as far of the explanation as we take it. In Luke chapter 15, God, Jesus had to deal with that same thing. Do you suppose, do you think that those people who died when the, when the Tower of, of Siloam fell, do you think they were the most evil people in Jerusalem, he asked? There were almost 20 people that died. And you know what the people of the day was asking? Why them? Why them? And he says, do you think it was because they were the most evil? They were not. There's time and chance. Why do evil things happen? Well, because sometimes we make sinful choices. There's a lot of reasons why evil things happen. We live in a world of sickness and we live in a world of death. And the wise are not always apparent to us. Let's look at the wisdom literature. Turn to Ecclesiastes 6. We want to know why. We want to just grab onto it and squeeze it. And yet the wisdom literature is full of examples trying to get us away from that concept, trying to pound into us. And if you wonder why we're going to go from one chapter to the next chapter to the next chapter, it's, it, it, it's consistently there. The Holy Spirit knew we may have problems with this, it seems. And here's what's repetitive. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 12. Who knows what is good for a man in this life, all the days of his life which he spends as a shadow? We want to know what's good. We, 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 it's just a short life. Bam, it's over. Look at that last phrase. Rhetorical question. Who can tell a man his future? Who can tell a man what will be after him? You know what the answer is? None of us. We want, all these, we want all these answers. We want all these things figured out about the, about the future. We don't know that. Look in chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. Let's just pause right there. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. This room is full of people, me included, who are prospering. God has blessed us and blessed us again. Tell Him thank you. And like 1 Timothy chapter 6 reminds us, take those things He has given for us to enjoy and use them well. Lay up spiritual treasures with them. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But, adversity is right around the corner. <laughs> we're, we're, we're eating up this prosperity right. And then the very next thought is, you know, but not all days are prosperous. Prosperity comes, so does adversity. So let's pick back up. God also has set one against the other. You think He doesn't know one, he doesn't know one from the other? The giver of the prosperity, giver of adversity, He knows. Look at that last phrase, very same. It's, it's repetitive from chapter 6. No man will find the future. No man will find anything after him. Look in chapter 8. Why is there so much about this? Chapter 8. When I applied my heart, verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth. So here's a man who, oh, he's eat up with this idea. 
He is serious about figuring this stuff out. Then there's a parenthesis in verse 16 that basically where he's kind of saying, I lost sleep over it. Days and nights all ran together for me. Verse 17. And then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. A man cannot comprehend the work that is under the sun. Here's, here's the wisdom literature time and time again. And what it's telling us is stop guessing. Stop anticipating. Stop thinking we know what we don't know. Turn to chapter 12. Can we know anything then? Yeah. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Verse 13. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty. My duty is not to figure out tomorrow. My duty is to serve today. My duty is not to figure out the future. My duty is to serve in the present, in the moment. And so here we are, rejoice in prosperity, right? How many could say this? Live in a great city, got a great job. Got a great family, great house, great car. Rejoice in prosperity. But adversity is coming. And when it does, and the answers don't flush, they don't mesh, trust Him. When adversity comes, follow Him through them. Turn to Romans 8. We have another phrase to that question that we keep asking. Why do bad things happen? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why. But that's not usually where we end, is it? Why do bad things happen to good people? <laughs> do you know Lee Wildman? I'm guessing somebody in this room knows Lee Wildman. He's a friend of mine. He preaches up in Indiana. I'm going to give him credit because I'm not smart enough to th think of this. Here's his answer to that. When people ask him why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people, he said, you know, that only happened one time in the history of the world, and he signed up for it. He volunteered for it. We like to think of ourselves as good. What we are is flawed. What we are is, is, a, is a brand new car that, with a dent somewhere. In Romans chapter 8, here's another one of those passages like Jeremiah 29. God has a plan for me. Yeah, but what was the context? Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Oh, that one falls off the page, doesn't it? Or does it not? You know, we ought to put that one on a coffee cup. Oh, oh wait. Somebody's already done that. We ought to put that on a cover. We ought to put that on a t-shirt. Somebody's already done that. But we love this verse. It's all good if we love the Lord. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Is everything that happened in your life good? Is everything that's happened in your life the way you would sign up for it? Is everything that happened in your life what you would prefer? So therefore, we can't trust the Bible? 
We can't trust God's Word. All things work together for good, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of things happening that might not be called good, and they're happening to us. What's the context? This verse is not to us personally. And now here's when ears get popped up. Yo, whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful there, brother. <laughs> this verse is not to us personally. It's not talking about my personal good, your personal good. What's the context of the book? Memory verses. Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6. The wages of sin is death. That's all bad. <laughs> and that God worked that to our benefit. God can take things like Joseph being sold into slavery, and He can work it for something good. God can take things like Jesus being nailed to a cross when all the prophets said, hang on a tree. It's a horrible thing. The idea behind this context is, he's not speaking to us personally. What he's saying is, bad thing can happen, but don't think I can't turn something good out of it. Don't think it can't become for your benefit, for our benefit. It doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good. But what it is saying is that everything that happens to us can be beneficial. Now here's where we make it personal. Here's where we, can, we begin to apply it. This room is full of people who while in the moment, Joseph being thrown in the pit, who's pleading, begging, heart just exploding, and then later on can look back and say, okay, this room's full of people like that. Situations we had to go through would give a million dollars to not go through it. Situations we were going through that we were actively, consistently praying would come to an end. This room is full of people who went through things we'd rather not have gone through. And tonight, you can say, I'm stronger. I wished it hadn't happened. I'm stronger because it happened. All things can work to good to those that love the Lord. There's the context. That's how we apply that. Look in verse 29. Does God have a purpose? I can't wait to see what God's plan is for me. I can't wait to see what God's plan is for my children. Here it is. Verse 29, for him he did foreknow, and he, did, he, he, he foreordained, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. There it is. You can't wait to know what God's plan is for you. That's it. He wants us to be like His Son. He wants us to conform to that. Romans 12 talks about a transformation. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed. His plan for me is to look like the Son. His plan for you is to look like His Son. His plan for your children is to look like His Son. That's what He wants. That's His purpose for us. A people who look just like Him. To use a, a, a computer idea, to be icons 
of Him. Now, how do we do that? Turn to 2 Corinthians. What's required for us to, 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 be, to, to go through this transformation? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I'll just remind you, remember in James chapter 1, it talked about looking in uh, this mirror and some look and they see and then they walk away and they reject. But, but he's describing in that paragraph, says, he's looking into the perfect law of liberty. I take that to mean the, the text itself, the Word of God itself. We look into that perfect law. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. With an unveiled face, we look as in a glass and see the glory of God. And we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Can we apply that? James chapter 1, we, we're looking into the perfect law of liberty. Now, here's, here's the Corinthian letter, and it's, we look as if it's a mirror. We look as if it's a glass, and as we look at it, we begin to take on the reflection of it. When we put that together, we read about how Christ responded to situations. And we begin to respond like that. We see how Christ reacted, and we begin to react like that. We see the words and the manner in which He taught. And we begin to teach like that. We see the way He loved. And we begin to love like that. We see the way He had compassion. And we begin to look like that. That's His purpose for me. And that's His purpose for you. I believe that God has a plan for my career. Okay, well and good. But He has told Wherever you, whether you're the boss or whether you're the worker, he is, he is told in the epistles about masters and servants. God has a plan for your career. He's told you how to behave in that career. I believe God has a plan for my marriage. He does. And we talked about it Sunday night. Fathers, here's what He expects of you. Mothers, here's your role. Wives, here's your role. Children, here's your role. Husbands, here's your role. He does have a plan in your family. He's revealed that to us. Will we transform into it? Will we, will we take on that reflection and become what He wants us to be? We have this idea, well, I've just, I believe God's doing this and this with my life. Okay, okay, well and good. But are we paying attention to the things He told us to do in that life? The way to behave and act and live? We can be inconsistent if we're not careful. I believe God has a plan for me. And yet, we look into the perfect law and we're not acting according to that plan. When the bad happens in our life, let our prayers be more than that. Our knee-jerk reaction is, like Paul, take this thorn away. Let's pray for strength and pray for God's help to get through it. Let's pray for open doors. It might be that because of these things we have gone through, we might be able to help others. We might be able to get beyond the sympathy and into some empathy because we've been there they will listen to you. Use those opportunities and let's use them well. Do you remember when Hezekiah asked for 15 more years? Or, well, he asked for more time. He was granted that time period. If I've got the chronology right, it was during that 15-year period of what we might call extra time 
it seems to be that was when those Babylonian people showed up. And he took them in. Hey, let me show you what we got. He, he was granted some extra time. He was granted these extra opportunities. And what happened was pride built up. Let's not overlook the time we've been given. And let's use it the best that we can. Use our good health and use our time. And let's use it well. Turn back to Jeremiah 29. I mentioned this. I, I told you from the beginning. This is a little different lesson than, what, than the other ones. It's not as... It's not as streamlined. We've kind of bounced around a little bit. Well, I hope there's been something that's been of value to you. If it just makes us remember our place, remember whose world this is, like we sang about last night. In verse 13 of Jeremiah 29. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. God is findable. God's plan for us, God's purpose for us to become like him, that's findable. Do you remember in the U.S. history or I guess just world history, remember all those explorers? He had Vasco da Gama looking for this. You got the guy that was looking out for the seven cities of Cibola. You had Ponce de Leon look, walking around looking for the fountain of youth. And you know, they, they never found what they were looking for. So do we reach the conclusion then that they weren't good explorers? They weren't good sailors? They weren't good navigators? No, that's not the problem. The problem is they were looking for something they could not find because it didn't exist. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Put our face into that reflective mirror. Put our face into what James called you know, that, 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 that law of, of peace, that law of perfect peace. We'll find him. And then let's be humble enough to do what he wants. Let's act on what we find. Thank you so much. You listen so well here. So encouraging. But there are vicious here, so I want to ask some questions. Maybe, you, maybe you've not really started seeking him yet. Get started on that. Maybe you've started searching and you've, you, you kind of hit a, a, a dead end. Let's start the conversation. Let's start right there. And let's start seeking together. There are people here that will help you with that. They delight to help you with that. You've searched long enough that by faith, and you believe he is who he claimed to be. He is the son of God and he's a spiritual king of a kingdom. How about confessing that? How about repenting of the sins that caused him to die? And if you believe God is the keeper of promises, he told those, those that were going to be captive, I'm bringing you back. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I'm going to bring you back, and you're going to rebuild. He was faithful to that. If you believe him to be faithful, he's promised you that he'll wash away every sin you've ever committed in the waters of baptism. Act. Do what you know to do. For those of us that are Christians, we want answers, we want the whys, we want the wins. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't have to understand everything, but we understand who God is. We understand what judgment is. We know what we need to know. And if what we know is, I'm not ready for that judgment, well, we need to get that conversation started too.
Let's do that tonight. Do it while we stand and sing.